Can you remember a time when you felt or were forgotten? My family had just moved to a new city, and I had started in a new school. I really enjoyed that new school and my classes, and one class in particular, music class. I enjoyed learning to play different instruments and learning to sing, but I especially enjoyed talking with my classmates. And music, for some reason, seemed to offer ample opportunity to connect and talk with others. In fact, I remember this one class. I was, having a, I was paired up with one of my classmates on the xylophone. Do you guys remember the xylophone, the malleted instrument? That's right. We were paired up together, and we were in deep conversation after doing some exercises. We kind of had a ripple effect. We started talking, and then started talking with the row in front of us, and then the row in front of them. We were eventually talking with the row at the front of the classroom together. I think we were joking around. And one of the students, who we were very friendly with, we were joking with them. For some reason, I can't remember why, he turned around with his wooden mallet and flung it back in our direction towards us. And my classmate and I quickly dodged it, and then a bunch of things happened in quick succession that did not go in my favor. In the back of the classroom, I grabbed my own mallet and I started to throw it back at him. And do you have any of these memories where, for some reason, they live in slow motion in your mind? <laughs> this is one of those memories for me. I remember the mallet leaving my hand and just flying in slow motion through the air. The classmate at the front of the classroom, like we did, dodged the mallet. And the teacher, who had been pretty much ignoring all the conversations that had been going on, was at the front of the classroom, turned in the opposite direction, bent down. And just at that moment, she stood up and she turned around to face the classroom. And in my memory, this spinning mallet flies past my classmate and hits my teacher right in the face. And I'm in shock, and so my hand is still extended watching what's happening. And she looks right at me, and the perpetrator has been caught. As a punishment, she did something that I imagine no teacher would ever imagine doing today. In the back of our classroom, they had these soundproof rooms so that a student could take an instrument, go and practice in the back while the rest of the classroom is still working. Well, she decided to take me into one of those soundproof rooms to, to lock me in there as a punishment, and she left me. I'd already really pushed things by that point, so I decided just to sit and let things blow over. I don't know exactly how long I was in there, I'm guessing maybe 30 or 40 minutes, until all of a sudden the lights went out. <laughs> oh no. I stood up, looked out the window to see that the classroom was empty, that the lights had gone out. I reached over to grab the doorknob, and it was locked. I yelled and screamed, I probably cried, and no one came. I still remember some of those questions that I asked in the darkness, all alone, feeling very much forgotten. Will anyone come for me? Will anyone remember me? Does anyone care? Am I alone? I think it was over an hour until my teacher came back and sheepishly opened the classroom, and I went back. But can you remember a time when you felt 
or you were forgotten. We're in a sermon series. In fact, this is the last week of our current sermon series called Don't Forget to Remember. Some of the most important things in life are often not new to us. They're things that we've taught, been taught, that we know, or that we've been practicing. But for some reason, we forget them. And this sermon series has been an invitation for us to go back and to remember some of those important truths and promises. And today's sermon is a kind of capstone message to the series. We are invited to remember that God remembers. And we'll look today at two ways that God remembers. God remembers us, and God remembers his promises. Let's look together at Isaiah 49 will be our key passage for today. So if you have a Bible, you can open that up. If you have a phone, you can open up your Bible app, or you can also follow along on the screen behind me. Isaiah 49, beginning in verse 13. For the Lord comforts his people, will have compassion on his afflicted ones. But Zion said, the Lord has forgotten me. The Lord has forsaken me. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child that she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are ever before me. Let's pray together. God, we thank you that even though we may forget, we may forget your promises, truths about you, forget many things, that we can rest and trust that you will remember. Amen. The prophet Isaiah preached and taught in the 8th century BC, so over 2,800 years ago. And Isaiah was a prophet, which meant that he spoke on behalf of God. And generally speaking, in the scriptures, when a prophet speaks, it's to their current political, religious, uh, or socioeconomic climate. But sometimes, more rarely, sometimes they'll speak a word into the future, towards the future. They may not know exactly how many years into the future or all of the details, but they will speak a word into and for the future. And the passage that I just read from in Isaiah 49 is from a longer section, Isaiah 40 through 55, where Isaiah is speaking a word into the future. And he's speaking into a time that's, as we'll find out later, it's 150 years after his own lifetime. A time when the empire of Babylon will become a superpower, will go to war with Israel, and will destroy them, devastate them. They will march into Jerusalem, destroy the city. They will destroy the temple, the place of their worship. And even more, they will take around 25% of the population of the city, and they will take them back to Babylon to live in exile as slaves and as servants. So Isaiah is speaking a word on behalf of God into that future moment 150 years down the road. And in the passage that I just read, 
God through Isaiah so captures that feeling. The feeling of being forgotten by God. The feeling of being forsaken by God. It says this in Isaiah 49, verse 14. But Zion has said, the Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. That God knows that in the future, in this time of devastation and destruction, that they will feel forgotten by God. And we know that is in fact the case. That time was a great season of difficulty and suffering and struggling for God's people. Not only personally, economically, but spiritually, religiously as well. God, where are you? And into that moment, looking into the future, God says, even though I know that you will feel forsaken and forgotten, I speak these words over you. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child that she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. Really, God? Really? Look at what's happened to our families. Look what's happened to our city, to the temple, the place that we worship you. You have not forsaken us. You have not forgotten us. How have you remembered us? In the places of our pain, in the places of our own devastation and destruction, we can feel that too. If you've walked for God for long enough, you will feel, even if it's for a moment, that same feeling, being forgotten by God. Many of you know that a few months ago, here at 10th, we experienced a great loss of a friend, one of our youth, one of our staff team, who took his life by suicide. And although we saw profound moments of God's goodness and beauty in there, it was a time of great questioning for us, where we felt at times, God, where are you in this? Have you forgotten us? Have you forsaken us? I know that I have felt moments of that through that season. In some of our darkest and most painful places, we can ask the question, God, where are you? Are we forsaken? Are we forgotten? Why don't we feel remembered? And today, through the lens of Isaiah 49, we want to listen to God's words for us. That in some of our most difficult, dark places, places of our own difficulty, destruction, and darkness, that in fact God speaks the words over us that he remembers. That he remembers us and he remembers his promises towards us. And we'll look together at why that matters. So let's look together first at God remembering us. When I was in the dark, soundproof room all alone, I felt forgotten. And all the markers were there, right? I got up, looked out the window, there's nobody there. All the people who I had trusted, teachers, friends, who I thought would come looking for me, never showed up. In addition to that, the lights had gone out. The door was locked, I had no way out. All the markers were there that I not only felt forgotten, but I in fact was forgotten. 
And sometimes in our own life, it can feel like some of those same markers showed up where it's understandable for us to feel forgotten too. Including in our relationship with God. The people who are supposed to come and looking for us and be there for us aren't there. Feels like the lights have gone out in different areas of our life, our emotional life, our interpersonal life, different areas of our life, it feels like the lights have gone out. And we can even feel locked in, unsure of where to go next. In those spaces where we can see the own markers, it can be understandable for us to feel like we have been forgotten. But one of the big differences that God is clarifying here in this passage is that even though, in fact, in elementary school, I was forgotten in the music room, God says, even though we may feel forgotten by him in some of our most difficult, dark places, that he, in fact, has not forgotten us. Vanitha Reisner is the author of a book called Desperate for Hope. And in the book, she shares that she was in a season, one of the most difficult seasons of her life. Her husband had just left her family. She explains that her body was literally deteriorating. Her kids were angry and wanted nothing to do with God. And in that place, she said this, where are you, God? Don't you care that I'm struggling? Why are you letting this happen to me? And why aren't you doing something, anything to help me? I've whispered, cried, even screamed those questions to you, God. She continues saying, I felt so alone in this suffering, distant from God, wondering if my situation would ever change when my life fell apart. The foundations of my faith felt unstable. The Sunday school answers that I could recite automatically now made no sense. Vanitha would have said that in her mind, she would have known, you know, the Sunday school answers, God doesn't forget us. He is there for us. He loves us. And yet in the moment, she felt something very different. And in those moments when it feels like there's an incongruity between our head and our heart or our head and our lived experience, our knowledge that, yeah, God is there, but where is he? What can we do? One of the things that we can do in those moments is we can draw on the wealth, if we have them, from our own past of times of God's love and faithfulness and presence, times when we feel seen by him. The author, Bessel van der Kirk, says this. If you carry a memory of having felt safe with somebody long ago, the traces of that earlier affection can be reactivated in attuned relationships when you are an adult, whether these occur in daily life or even in good therapy. That if we can draw upon some of our healthy, positive memories of when we felt God's faithfulness, we felt seen by him, loved by him from our own past, we can draw upon those and reactivate memories of God's faithfulness even in our presence. But another thing that we can do is we can draw on something even more stable, even more secure than our own experience of God. We can draw upon the memories of God's faithfulness and goodness from the scriptures. 
Vanitha, who I talked about earlier in her dark season, said that she relied upon the scriptures to be a navigator for her, to be a guidepost for her. She said, in this dark and confusing season, even when the lights of her faith seemed to go dim, it was remembering the truth that she was not forgotten that helped to ground her personally. Even when she was having difficulty seeing it for herself, or she knew it, was having difficulty seeing it and feeling it, God's promises sustained her. And she said that one of those scriptures that really helped to root her and sustain her in that season was Isaiah 49, the passage that I just read for us together. Have you ever been in a home or in a building when the power went out late at night? All the power goes out. What's the first thing that you look for? Maybe even before you look for the matches or you look for the candles or you look for your emergency kit, you know where they are, you know where to go, you know where you want to be. The first thing you look for in the darkness is something secure to guide you to those places. You look for a wall. Or if you have to go downstairs, you look for a banister. Something that you know is going to be secure and unchanging in the midst and presence of the darkness. You know where you want to go. You know where you're trying to get to. You're trying to get to the candles or the matches. But you need something that you know does not change in the midst of the darkness. Vanitha is saying that in those places, we need something that's unchanging and unmovable. That in, when the lights of our life go out and we're struggling to figure out where to go, just something that we can lean upon that can help navigate us through the darkness. And the scriptures can be that place. My friend Daryl Johnson, who's a preacher and a teacher in the city, once told me sometimes in our darkest places, we just need to preach to ourselves. We need to take a passage of scripture like we're doing here right now together and just preach it to ourselves until we feel the truth of God's message and love and life for us. Sometimes in our darkest places, we need to take something that's secure and unchanging, a guidepost for us to lean upon to allow them to preach God's love and life and presence to us. God remembers us. And even in our darkest places, God sees us. But God not only remembers us, God remembers his promises to us. In fact, the whole story of God, our scriptures, is a testimony to God's faithfulness to us. That God is a God of promises and one who keeps his promises, both in the past, the present, and the future. We look into the past and we remember Abraham and God's promise to him that even in his old age that he would have a child. Beyond any fathomable reason that he could have made, God kept his promise. We think of Moses and God's people stuck in slavery in Egypt. And God kept his promise to him to deliver him and those people out of slavery, out of Egypt, and into freedom. And God, too, kept his promise to David, this little shepherd boy, the smallest in his family, that he would become a great king and warrior. God keeps his promises to us. And the scripture is full of promises that God makes to us. 
full of life and hope and joy. And I want to bring up just a few of those promises for us, just reminders. What are some of God's great promises that are offered to us? God says, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Whoever believes in me will have eternal life. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I feel that one today. Peace I give you. My peace I leave with you. I will instruct you and teach you in the ways that you should go. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Another one, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in time of trouble. Therefore, we do not need to fear. These are just a selection of some of the great promises that God makes towards us. And this last one has been an important passage for me, an important promise for me, especially a number of years ago in a season of difficulty. A number of years ago, I was in a season where I was discerning some significant decisions and changes in my life. I was also experiencing some significant difficulty and trouble and and frustration. And every month I go and meet with a spiritual director who's someone who, for an hour, listens in on my relationship with God and helps me to pay attention and discern in that place. As we met together, I explained to him, the season feels like I'm a ship lost at sea. That the sail of my life is up and the sheet is open. It's ready for anything. But the wind has died. It's gone flat. There are no oars in the boat for me to even push myself forward. The sky is filled with clouds. Every every navigating mark that I would use to guide my way forward is blocked out. And there's no shore in sight even to go back towards the shore. And a storm is coming. It felt like I was lost at sea with no way to propel my way forward and no way to know where to go. If you know me, I'm a strategic planning person. I love to know where I'm going and I want to plan our way to get there. And so for me personally, to be in a season where I not only have no idea personally where to go, but no sense of the ability to even move myself forward, it was a season, honestly, of some significant fear. And in that space, my spiritual director said, let's just stop and listen to see if God has a word for you in this space with this image in mind. And so we listened together, and we listened. And the promise from Psalm 46 came to mind. And again, whether it was, in fact, God leading that, or because it's a passage that's been important to me in the past, and it's a passage that I memorized, I'm not sure, but I do think that it was God's leading in the moment. Saying, God is my refuge and strength an ever-present help in time of trouble. Therefore, do not fear. 
For me, in a season of significant fear, God was saying, I am your refuge, your strength. I will be an ever-present help in your time of trouble. Therefore, do not fear. Even though there's no wind in the sheet of your sails, it will come. Even though the way forward seems blocked, it will open. And I went home, and to be honest, nothing happened right away. But week after week, small shifts began to come. The wind in the sails of my life began to blow very slowly and come. And slowly those navigating markers for me to move my way forward and discern what to do and how to respond began to become opened up as well. Slowly God began to show that he is good and faithful to his promises. And the arc of God's promises may be long, but they are always true. And they're even better than we imagined. The arc of God's promises to us may be long, but they are true and they're always better than we imagined. In Isaiah 49, a little bit before the passage that we read together in verse 6, God makes a substantial and important promise. One of the most important promises he makes in our Old Testament. He speaks a word to the current or the, the exiles that are to come, those people who are going to be going to Babylon, says, I will rescue you. But he says, that isn't just it. In fact, I will not only be good news for you, but I will be good news for all of the nations, for the whole globe. Isaiah 49, 6, here's what he says from the message version. God says, but that's not a big enough job for my servant. Just to recover the tribes of Jacob, merely to round up the strays of Israel. I'm setting you up as a light for the nations so that my salvation becomes global. God's saying that one day he will send a servant who will not only rescue his own people, but make a way to rescue all people and all nations. Do you know how long it took for that promise to be fulfilled? 700 years. 700 years after Isaiah spoke these words, God chose to become the the answer to his own promise. He chose to become the promised servant. Being born in human flesh was given the name of Jesus. And he lived a perfect life. And then on the cross bore the full weight of our sin and shame. Not only to make a way for his own people, the Israelites, but for all people and all nations to know God to know his great and powerful promises for them. The ark of God's promises may be long for us, but they're always true, and they're always even better than they imagined. There's no way that Israel could have imagined in that moment that it would be God himself who had come to stand in all of our places, to become the servant to take our sin and shame upon himself, to open up a renewed way for us to have new relationship with one another and with God. The ark of God's promises may feel long, especially in some of our dark and difficult places, but it's always true 
they're better than we imagined. In your place where you are today, whether it be a place of life and joy and anticipation, whether it be a place of difficulty, darkness, hardship, and confusion, wherever you are, is there a promise that God is inviting you to rest in today? Because the good news of the fact that God remembers is that even when we forget, that we can rest in the great reality that God fulfills his promises. Even when we forget, even when we fail, God will remember. So in a moment, we're going to put some of those promises back up on the screen. And I wonder if there's a promise for you that in your season, in your place, whether you're starting school all over again, starting a new school, starting a new job, maybe some of you are new to Vancouver, or whether things feel the same in many ways, whether God is inviting you to rest in one of his promises over you today. So we're going to put those promises up on the screen, and I'm going to give you about a moment just to read and listen and pay attention. Is there a promise that God is inviting you to rest in today? Then I'll close us in prayer. Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Whoever believes in me will have eternal life. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Peace I give you, my peace I leave with you. I will instruct you and teach you in the ways that you should go. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in time of trouble. Therefore, we do not need to fear. Jesus, for me, the promise, you say, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I thank you that you are faithful and good, and that because you remember us and your promises, that even when we forget, even when we fail, even when we fall short, that you never fall short, that you never fail, and you never forget. So we can rest with ease in your great promises for us because you remember us. Amen.